Margin Call is the podcast that gives you behind-the-scenes access to the ups and downs of working in the Forex CFD industry. We interview the people that keep the show on the road, giving you insight into what makes the industry tick. The series is guest-hosted by myself, Jordan Michaelides, and produced by the team at Neural Media. To learn more, visit gomarkets.com slash podcast. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S dot com slash podcast. Or take a look at the Go Market suite of products at gomarkets.com. Go Markets is a derivatives broker and Jordan Michaelides is the managing director of Neural Media. All opinions expressed by Jordan and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Go Markets, an AFSL license holder. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for financial decisions nor as an indication of future performance. Clients of Go Markets may hold positions in the derivatives mentioned. A financial services guide and product disclosure statement for our products are available at gomarkets.com. My guest this week is Alex Saunders, founder of Nuggets News, uh, and the man has been documenting probably the unprecedented uh, interest in DeFi and uh, how people are wanting to buy shares. I was just trying to think of a way I could intertwine that little snapshot you posted of the Google Trends. How's isolation been going for you? Oh, it's been testing at times with... um a uh, little one at home, one-year-old, and the wife's at home as well. So it, when you're trying to do interviews and you've got babies crying, dogs barking and all that, it's been testing at times uh, because we work from home. So in some ways, nothing has changed. But in other ways, like a lot of people, we've had to, I guess, just adapt a little bit. Yeah. And you're you're in Tassie, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so Lauren's, uh, my, my partner's... Um, family is all in sort of uh, Devonport and Launceston. And so they've, they've been, a, it, it's interesting hearing their perspective around what's been happening. Like Tassie seems to have um, been quite okay. You know, you had an outbreak here and there, but um, life seems pretty normal at least. Yeah. Well, that was one of the things I guess that um, we had to adapt to because mother-in-law is from Devonport as well. So they went into complete lockdown so she normally looks after our little one as grandma, you know, one day a week. And so then that was one less day that we both had to, because we both work full time and then all of a sudden you're juggling that. So yes, it's just all those things that have made life uh, crazy over the last few months, but it's gone back to normal, I guess, in the last few weeks, uh, mm. except for if you're in Victoria, maybe we'll talk about COVID today, but yeah. We will for sure. Uh, Victoria is an interesting one. It's, it's fascinating how um, at the start of the week, you're thinking, okay, so there's there's this mini outbreak. There's all these cases. What could possibly have done it? And by the end of the week, the media is starting to report things like security guards having sex with return travelers at, what was it, the Stamford in the city? Uh, you, so there, there was Well, like you know what lo- happened down in Tassie as well, how that outbreak started? How? It was a doctor that had flown down from the mainland to help out when they had short staff because a lot of the staff from the one place had to quarantine when we had the first breakout. 
So they had to fly down doctors and nurses. And one of the doctors that flew in, I think he was hooking up with a few of the nurses. <laughs> and then that sort of spread the COVID around. And anyway, I'm pretty sure. Well, I asked all my friends because those that I know, I'm a pharmacist. So I've got uh, pharmacists and doctor friends that work up at that hospital. And I said, is this rumor true? And they wrote back, yeah. So, okay. Wow. It, to me, it sort of signifies that you need to really lean on. Like here in Victoria, we haven't lent on the military or any other uh, public service for that specific job, which I think will be an interesting investigation over the next six months. It sort of sounds like uh, I, I I pat you on the back, you help me out, like type of arrangement. It's just um, it's unusual that you would get a security company that mainly uses contractors to do something as important as that. Whereas everywhere else in the country, it was like the the police, the federal police or the military were in charge of it. And I think a lot of the time, there's still like a really widespread belief in the community that this is nothing too bad, you know, just mm. flu. And it only takes one of those security guards to be of that belief. You're only as strong as your weakest link. And one of the reasons that I was so vocal very early on was because if you push hard, you go into complete lockdown for a month you can get into that position and eradicate it like New Zealand kind of got into. Whereas we just kept going, oh, hairdresser's okay. Oh, 20 people at a gathering's okay. And we sort of just made our way along. And now here we are with, I just don't think people really took it that seriously versus if you had had like a New York or Italy type situation in our own backyard, I think Mm. people would have taken it really seriously. And now that people have got this mindset of, oh, things are going to go back to normal, we're opening back up. Yeah, there's just no masks in, in, in our culture still. So I just think that this is yeah. something that's going to keep coming back. Yeah, that, that is really unusual. They're still saying here that you don't need masks in public places, which to me is a bit odd uh, and doesn't make much sense from a scientific point of view, but it does from a public policy point of view because they're probably trying to prevent people freaking out. I think that's the main thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all aligned as well. But when you've got community transmission, you just there's no harm in wearing them. In Victoria, if you know that it's, it's out there and they can't trace it, then mm. yeah, why not? So what's your thought process around how we've gone about it versus how they've gone about it in New Zealand and what the next 6, 12 and 18 months looks like? I know it's really hard and I'm not looking for a sound grab, but there's so many variables, obviously. But the biggest thing is the notion that if we're going to have a vaccine, it's probably going to be at the start, early point of next year. At least that's what they're saying in the States. Hmm. So you've got somewhat of a target to what life can look like from Feb, March next year. How are you thinking about that? And, and I guess... I'm curious, how, how do you think they're going to go in New Zealand versus here? Like, I, I personally don't think that they're not going to have cases in New Zealand. But I guess I'm curious to see what you think. Just depends on how you open up your borders and how strict you are with that, that quarantine when they come back, like you said, using the, the military. or There's been some good, I guess, techniques in other countries, things like ankle bracelets, because there's some Twitter sort of threads I've read where people go to the hotels and they quarantine, but they say, well, the staff weren't wearing masks, washing hands, the police weren't, we're all on the bus packed like sardines, you know, at the airport, we all had to go into this room and get our baggage. So it would have spread then. So there's a lot of arguments to be made that you're actually safer to hop in an Uber, whack on an ankle bracelet 
and just prove that you did isolate for two weeks rather than going to a hotel and the bus and just being crammed in with all these other return travellers and then you know, some of the tests, we still don't know exactly how mm. accurate they are. And the big worry for me, which we'll get into, is the evidence that we've now got a new strain that's slightly mutated. And in that case, you're actually almost back to square one. Like, you've got to treat it like it's the initial outbreak again. Because mm-hmm. some of the early studies are finding that you might not have immunity and that this is more infectious. And if that's the case and people still aren't quite taking it seriously, then that's when it can spread. Because... Really early on, the reason I was vocal was because Trump was tweeting and uh, ScoMo tweeting, it's just the flu. And at that point, it was clearly not just the flu. Mm. And if you don't get in front of it early, you can turn into Italy or New York. And look, just look at New York and some of these other states. They're calling it second wave in the media, but they didn't even have like a trough or flattening at all. It's just mm. steadily increasing. And you've got these people that are really angry and upset and getting getting itchy. They want to get out of lockdown. So this is just the perfect, I guess, combination of things that the disease and the virus itself isn't probably as bad as I was first worried about. Yeah. Uh, there's still a lot of things to to really take it seriously. From the medical professionals that I talk to, some of the studies now showing that it can get into other tissues. So they're finding like viral loads in the brain, the nervous system, as well as it being more of an inflammatory, you know, attacking the blood cells and creating those inflammation cascades. So it's not just this thing that infects your, your lungs and affects your, your breathing. Uh, and then you can say, well, to some of these ventilators, they're arguing that's not even really what you need. You need this other therapy. Yeah. So there's just so many unknowns and we're getting more and more evidence, which is what we want to try and stick to. But I, yeah, I just, I was really worried that we are that really close to a vaccine. Some of the studies showed that hydroxychloroquine worked. Now they're saying maybe not really. The US has just bought all the remdesivir, which is the uh, treatment that's sort of preferred at the moment. And then you say, well, if China do find a vaccine, they're not going to probably share any of it with the US if the US have been hoarding and then putting sanctions on them. So you've got all these geopolitical tensions as well. Uh, And in terms of the economy and the global supply chain, yeah, we're just going to have these sort of spot fires everywhere and global travel is not going to get back to normal anytime soon and, you know, tourism. Yeah. So, so you, you could probably expect the next 6, 12 and 18 months, everything's just going to be about surviving. Everything's going to be uncertain. There's going to be spot fires everywhere. I mean, I'm just looking at COVID-19 info.live and um, you're right about the US. I mean, that to me, I couldn't believe the protests that were happening and I'm not surprised at all with the case numbers now. And I think, uh, yeah, last 24 hours, the US, they have 87,000 new cases. And the problem here is that there are the group of people, so that, like everything, there's a scale of the conspiracy theories and the truth. So there's, there's people out there that think the virus doesn't even exist. And all these scientists yeah. that, and, and that's what, where I'm lucky, where I can reach out to, I've got guys that work in biomed that, that are like sequencing the genome and looking for, the cures and then you've got the doctors on the front line telling me that yeah it's bad no it's it's good now it's not as bad as we thought so you're getting all this sort of info from everywhere but there's still people out there that just think that entire thing's a hoax whereas Mm. i definitely sort of somewhere in the middle here where they're using it as the scapegoat there is no doubt that we were downturning in terms of economy recession housing you know we're just over leveraged we we need that to happen anyway so this is going to get the blame there's no doubt about that yeah now they're going to use it for you know, you're not allowed to protest. And that is just going to infuriate those US protesters 
let alone the ones on the scale who think that this is all a conspiracy. So that's where you're going to see a lot of anger. Um, and we're already seeing civil unrest and protests. The inequality, I mean, at the start of the week, we find out that the Fed have now just picking winners and buying corporate bonds. I tweeted yesterday, Apple's got $100 billion in cash on their balance sheet. And yet the Fed are buying corporate bonds off them when you've got like 100 million people in the US that don't have like food, healthcare, and yeah. shelter. <laughs> just the inequality is just unreal that this is happening. But I guess the Fed are just saying, we've got a pandemic. We don't want a stock market crash as well. Like we don't really care if we blow this huge bubble and make the rich richer. That is the least of our worries at the moment. And I just think that's kind of, you've got to accept that as much as it's, it mm. sucks that the, the stock market just doesn't make sense. And you can say, oh, markets are forward looking, but I, I, even the central bankers have changed their language in the past month. They've gone from talking about building this bridge to the other side, two or three months. We've arrived there now, we're in July. And now they're saying this could last for years. Yeah. I, I, it, you're definitely right about that. It's, um, it's weird. Like it just makes me think looking at the US, how much, how glad I am that I live in somewhere like Australia. Um, oh, absolutely. Or Tasmania. Yeah. And, and you for yourself. Yeah. And Tassie. I mean, like, uh, it's amazing. I had an, a fellow agency over, over last night with his um, wife and my partner who were having drinks and, and nibbles and whatnot. And we were just discussing about the state of things and, yeah, like a lot of these businesses, a lot of businesses would be completely decimated if we had not had this financial stimulus, essentially. It has saved businesses. You know, this person uh, basically employs 40 people and he was like, okay, we would have had to halve our staff if we'd not mm. had JobKeeper. Oh, absolutely. So, so, that's, that's been good. And they're a big, big agency. We have got it so good here. But... I guess one of the things we've been discussing with the production team around this podcast is, you know, every time there's uncertainty, there is opportunity. And a lot of the people who listen to this are opportunistic and, you know, particularly if they're in that millennial generation, they haven't had the ability to invest in housing uh, like the previous generations. And so they're thinking about this period of time, the next five years is, can this be the moment that sets me up personally? So I guess I'm curious for you, where do you see opportunity amongst the chaos? Oh, yeah, don't get me wrong. There's going to be so many opportunities and there already has been. Um, we'll get into, I'm sure, like our business later on, but a lot of online businesses have been thriving and that's where you've got to make yourself useful and find a, a hobby or a second source of income and I think the government support has been great and I don't even mind that some people are getting paid more than what they're they used to and and a lot of that has gone into the stock market in america you know you've seen the uptake of robin hood and these people that are investing and outperforming hedge fund managers but is that bad i mean it's a, it's a bubble if the fed keep pumping markets up and there was all these retail investors that bought the dip and now they've got a bit of extra pocket money uh in the crypto world again we'll get to that later we saw a huge spike in america of people that opened accounts and yeah. bought twelve hundred dollars worth of bitcoin when they sent out the twelve hundred dollar stimulus checks so yeah. yeah there's always going to be opportunities and that's why i don't necessarily think that all these efforts that our government are putting in to save the housing market it's just going to get people 
on the property ladder at a better price if we actually do have a slow correction yeah. and the price just doesn't keep going up. Yeah. Um, the manufacturing, the local manufacturing. So we heard these stories of like one manufacturing plant in Adelaide that was still running that was capable of making some of this safety equipment or other you know, industrial things because we just don't have the plants and the machinery because we've shut down all our manufacturing sector in Australia. So the little pockets that we had that were still going, you've heard these brilliant stories. So I really think we're going to have to bring back manufacturing in some way because mm. we're just not competitive when you look at our economic complexity and we're sitting 93rd. If people don't need a lot of minerals and we go into this sort of recession depression and China doesn't go through a boom, other countries are going to be desperate to sell their resources, all these developing countries as well. So Australia, I just think, isn't really that competitive unless we start to ramp up other areas because, yeah, resources, education, Chinese students aren't coming to study or overseas Tourism. students at the moment. Tourism just been smashed. Yeah. Um, you know, construction, they're doing everything they can to prop that up <laughs> uh, and the banking sector. But you can't just getting people to build houses and end up with ghost towns like in China, it's just it's bringing demand forward. I, was, I saw someone talking the other day that they want to crack down on working from home. So they're, they're saying workplace health and safety doesn't meet the requirements. Working from home on the laptop, on the couch is not safe. And they want to make people build an extra room, like a dedicated office. So I don't know if that's their next ploy to build construction jobs and get people building and getting bigger mortgages. But um, it's, it's crazy how their reaction is always, what can we do? to lift house prices, 5% yeah. down loans for first-time buyers. Now you've got these stimulus package. Now the states have got these stimulus packages. Um, it's not productive creating jobs that are going to employ people and innovating. It's just it's building a house that has a bigger mortgage for you to pay off over the next 30 years. Yeah, and that probably just goes back to the fact that we live, we do live in a, a democratic and not technocratic society. Like You look at somewhere like Singapore and you probably wouldn't think that that uh, their public policy is defined by what is the best decision as opposed, like it's a meritocracy as opposed to, um, you know, whose votes can we win? And you can see that with the Eden Monaro by-election at the moment, all these things that are being promised. It's one of the funniest cartoons I've ever seen with, uh, you know, how they obviously announced the supposed extra funding for the, the military, which I think, to be honest, is a smart move preemptively for what will be happening over the next decade but the cartoon was basically like the financing of like a <laughs> the, the whole of Eden Monaro was just decimated with fire and it just had this sign that says Eden Monaro and there's a missile that's just shooting through the Eden Monaro sign on the way to China and it's just like sh sort of sh showing in a way that okay realistically what we need to be putting money into is water bombers not bombers or bombs I, I mean, I don't even really mind that spending. I mean, I don't I, mind it personally. I prefer not going to, to war with China. I mean, let's let's be yeah. honest. And, and what are they, what are we really going to do if they ever try and attack us? We're so small and insignificant. But when we are so hesitant to say extend JobKeeper or to give small businesses tax breaks or advantages, or there's a hundred things you could name that you could spend money and get better bang for your buck, keep people out there employed spending or even food on the table in, in some instances. And here we are, again, we're going to housing. We're going to, to $270 billion on military when we've got all these other things that I just think we should be taking care of first. Mm. As well as research, uh, you know, you heard these um, 
these researchers that weren't able to get grants in terms of trying to find cures for COVID. And it just shocks me when we've got these sort of things out there that could be huge earners for Australia. Um, and just wrapping that thought about the virus up that I mentioned before and, and research, what they found uh, is that one of the surface proteins that is the hook onto the cell receptors, that had a mutation and it made it a lot stronger so that it was able to survive for longer on the surfaces. And that made it six times more likely to actually be able to hook on to your, to your cell. So that's, that's the early signs. Now these need to be peer reviewed and it could be wrong, but um, just keep an open mind to if that is what's happened early on in the first wave that went around the world, like very few cases were this strain. I think it's called like D14G or something like that. And now they're finding that 70, 80, 90% of the cases globally are this new strain. So it's almost like every year we have a seasonal flu. Mm. And as pharmacists and doctors, we put out a, a flu vax and that's a combination of three or four of the most common strains from around the globe in the past year. And they try and leave it really late to produce because they want to try and know what's going around. Mm. But every year we get these new mutations and it's different and you have no immunity if once a flu mutates. So if yeah. COVID's mutated, then yeah. That, that's a good point because I remember re- I subscribed to the, uh, the Rational Optimist, uh, Matt Ridley, who's written, he wrote the book on the genome. Um, it just I actually just finished reading it, so it looks looks at each section of the genome genome or all twenty three components and he wrote a really interesting article the other day how back in about eighteen eighty six there was a a coronavirus that began in russia uh, no it was about eighteen eighty nine right so this thing begins it was called co43 or 34 it's one of those two numbers initially it was very very bad like it killed a lot of people and it of course swept through the world and within a couple of years it had completely died out uh and now it's something like one in ten colds that people get like it's just and it sort of shows that these things change dramatically over time and they're in the impact that they have on the body. And maybe you're right. Maybe this COVID-19 as we know it is still going to change forever. Like maybe it could just keep changing like the seasonal flu every year. Who knows? Yeah. So, and we, 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 I don't think we've ever found a cure to a coronavirus. And again, I'm not a virus expert, but I'm not sure if that is because they are often mutating um, or the other end of the spectrum is the coronaviruses that we have that do cause the common cold tend to not, not be that bad. So there's no mm. point really making a vaccine. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned a point before about manufacturing, which I found really interesting because that was, that was one of those memes or threads that came about in the very beginning. Obviously, uh, we've got so many stories of people buying uh, tools, masks, whatever, sending it back to China or stories of, you know, the percentage of Australian or American or basically anywhere in the West, what percentage of their medicine is manufactured in China. And it really highlighted the fact that supply chains uh, or at least globalized supply chains are being, are going to be localized when it comes to the West in particular. But I found it interesting, like about a month before COVID really hit, there was a big conference in Vietnam 
the prime minister's office was there, the foreign ministry was there, about 20 major CEOs. So we're talking Rio Tinto um, and, and the like, all there meeting with the government and talking about the future of supply chains with Vietnam, or at least manufacturing. So we've had all this talk about, okay, we need to, the government says we need to move more supply chains here locally, but the reality is it seems like we're just going to move most of it to another low-cost provider, which is Vietnam. Mm. Um, so I, I was curious from your perspective, and this is something I asked Martin a few weeks ago, if you were treasury or trade minister for the next 60, 90 days, how would you emphasize the change in the economy? How, what would you do in particular to bring change in a certain way? I just think you've got to have some really honest conversations about the way that um, software is eating the world, as we say in the, the crypto industry. <laughs> so anything that can be automated or it really levels the playing field. And so you can hire these architects and engineers in, in Vietnam or these other countries, and that's going to bring down the cost of labor in Australia, or it's going to bring theirs up. But the water level is going to meet somewhere in the middle as we go to this completely digital online world. And so you've got to work out what are the few things that still need to be manufactured in the real world and, and how do we sort of add value there with, with what we're doing. There's a lot of primary industry like food and the, mm. the, like the really healthy t- foods that demand the premium in China, you know, Tasmanian goods, you know, fertilizer free. They're the sort of things that we can really brand and push to the rest of the world that I think are going to have a premium because of our quality of water and, and air and, and land. So, yeah, concentrate on farming and primary industry uh, research. But, yeah, we have to be honest with ourselves about these things like building houses and that compared to software and automation and and these other industries, which I don't think we do that well at. And we've got, like, the encryption bill. Uh, What Mm. startups really want to come to Australia where there's going to be backdoors to everything that they do and and no privacy. So they're the, the big areas that I guess Crypto and Web3 are trying to look at and change as well. Yeah, how would you con- how would you consider things like incentives? Like, um, I, I'm thinking about how could the government actually put in policy that makes people want. Like, I found it really interesting how they've changed uh, how they're financing uni degrees, and they're supposedly focusing on areas that people want to employ in. And I do wonder whether it'd be worth just letting the market settle on that and finance degrees equally and see where people are pushing for jobs and create your industry around that. Because half the issue with industry here, at least in the tech space, is the lack of talent. That's the thing you always hear from people, right? I don't know if you hear the same. Well, we also hear that people don't, they can't attract talent here because taxes are so high. So I think you've got to be realistic again that taxes around the world are pretty much lower anywhere other than Australia. So... Mm. We'll get into maybe even modern monetary theory and government spending at the moment, but I think there's going to be a rethink about what is money and spending and taxes completely. So you've got to allow people to have a, a good lifestyle. Who wants to move to Sydney and pay 47 cents on the dollar, pay for this apartment that's $1,000 a week in the CBD, when they can go live in anywhere now, work from a distance, you know, go work in these tax havens, these little Silicon Valley sort of knockoffs that are popping up in these different countries all around the world, like, like you know, Malta at one stage there was really popular. So talent is going to leave. 
the world is going digital and online. You've got to stop just thinking that because we're in Australia and these cities that it's going to be the same as it was. Talent and money is going to move away and offshore. So play to what we're good at. I, I don't like anything that sort of tempers and uh, in the free market, like you just said, and saying this degree is going to be four times expensive because we don't really believe in arts and we need more doctors. So this is going to be cheap. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe making one a bit cheaper is fine, but making something like four times more incentive and putting that person into more debt. And then that person, again, they can be a less productive member of society and spend on things because they decided to study something like that to me is just, is just nuts. Mm. But so I think, yeah, we've got to be really honest about the way the world is moving this digital transformation and does Australia want to be part of that or do we just want to be you know, part of the five eyes Alliance banning encryption in you know, taxing cryptocurrencies, overtaxing startup businesses. Yeah. You, you mentioned before about uh, the future and, and digital businesses. I mean, obviously one of those being yours. Uh, I know you were, I'm pretty sure on one of your recent videos, you were saying that you guys were hiring at the moment or in the process of hiring. Uh, what's the last 12 months been like for you? Um, absolutely crazy but in a good way so i think we're up to 16 like on the books now and 12 months ago 24 months ago we're probably three or four jesus <laughs> so the first 12 months that i quit my job and went full-time with the hardest because crypto went down and went into that bear market uh, yeah. but i was really confident that crypto was eventually going to blossom again so we've been very busy building basically you know in a down market um I just think that we're now in this place where people are taking it seriously, whether it's Paul Tudor Jones saying that he owns Bitcoin and his clients own it. The fact that it's been through the bubble and it's popped and people can see that it's like the dot-com bubble. And from the ashes, we had all the green shoots and the, the big tech companies rise. Um, crypto is right there where we're starting to get users and real platforms, real things. Uh, some of these companies now have revenue so you can start to value them. It's all, it's all very real. And for me, mm. that's why it's all about education because telling people some of the things that are now available to do, like getting these loans or insurance in a decentralized manner, trading in a decentralized manner, showing them that you can just send money to anyone around the world for one cent instead of paying these big spreads and international transfer fees. This is just a far better technology in every way in so many industries and it's going to continue to be so. So the next thing is when we talk about Web3, and trying to rebuild the internet to a fairer system rather than having YouTube and Facebook and Twitter with all your data and they can just censor you. And we're seeing that as a huge problem. So this week, um, Stefan yeah. Manolinu, is that his name? How you pronounce Molyneux, it? yeah. Yeah, so I used to watch a few of his videos back in the day a few years ago. And I think he had, what, a million subscribers and heaps of videos over years and years. And they just click a button and decide that they've deleted his channel and his life work. Now, he yeah. doesn't really own any of that data any of those videos so in web 3 he has all that data it's uncensorable it's on the web for everyone to share it, just the friction and the way that information and data and value can flow around the globe it goes peer-to-peer -peer rather than just these big corporations and, and rent seekers and the governance that they have over everything you know they don't get to make the decisions in this decentralized world we're moving to yeah that that um whole point around stefan molyneux is really interesting because uh, like I know on Reddit this week, there was a massive purge of subreddits 
but still the the stuff that is allowed to be on reddit is just mind blowing like I, i'm they they banned i remember seeing this uh meme on uh a sub a conservative subreddit and it was like they banned the donald which is a donald trump supporting uh subreddit but there are like four subreddits attributed to like pedophilia porn on on reddit which to me is just it just shows you why people will move to this web 3.0 because legitimate people are being squashed ahead of something that is totally illegal which and is we've bizarre. seen like a lot of these. So we share content to uh, oh, more than a dozen platforms. So most people that follow Nuggets News will be subscribed to say YouTube and the podcast because everyone likes the longer format stuff in their ears when they're driving to work. But we share it to these 12 decentralized platforms as well. And recently it's sort of started to go up the S curve and we've seen a number of channels that have surpassed their YouTube subscriber count on these platforms that you wouldn't have even heard of. And the mm. community is moving there, particularly the crypto community there, or the little interest. And that's the way it sort of starts. And now Stefan Molyneux will move there. Yeah. Uh, Joe Rogan's made the deal with Spotify, but you've seen some gamers make some deals with these decentralized platforms. So they'll try and get one or two, three big influencers. And then you just hit that critical point where we mm. go up the S curve and really accelerate We've got a lot of these decentralized platforms are launching their competitors to like Facebook and Twitter very soon. So yes, at the beginning, of course, it's very small, but there's a competitor to Reddit out there called uh, Uptrend that a guy I know created and I wouldn't have given him one in a million shot of taking on Reddit 12 months ago and they've just become the biggest, I don't know what the official term is or whatever they've grown to number one is but you know the, the the biggest social media platform or the biggest growing one in the past 12 months anyway he's won all these awards they've got all this funding and whatever and it is just absolutely taking off and i wouldn't have never picked it 12 months ago so you kind mm. of underestimate uh what you can do in five years what's the old saying when everyone sort of thinks that oh i'm going to do this startup and how much i'm going to do in the first year but then you kind of yeah you can actually achieve a lot in five years yeah, I think uh, let's talk about Web 3.0 in depth. Um, obviously, we mentioned before, well, I don't know if we actually mentioned it in the conversation, but Brave, Brave Browser um, is something that I've been using recently. It's a really nice experience. But you've got this recent obsession with DeFi. Um, and maybe you can talk about these substitute platforms for the likes of Facebook, YouTube, and so forth. How can people start experimenting and what do you see in these real world sort of apps that are coming out? So decentralized finance or, or DeFi is trying to open up the world of finance to everyone. And by that, we mean if you're in Africa and you've got a smartphone, it's pretty hard to buy $5 worth of Apple shares. But with DeFi, you can now do that as long as you've got the smartphone and an internet connection. So anyone can download the wallet, you install it, um, you click a few buttons and now through the world of cryptocurrencies. So most people know Bitcoin, they've heard, heard yeah. about it. So Bitcoin's use case is trying to be a scarce currency we can never print more of versus all these currencies around the world that they're currently printing by the trillions of dollars a week. So it's really trying to be a digital gold or a payment system. But then you go down the food chain to the second biggest cryptocurrency, which is Ethereum. Now, I consider those two the blue chips. So there's no real need if you're a beginner to play around anything more than that. 
But mm. Ethereum is trying to build Web3, so a new internet of sorts that's fairer and gives the users control over everything. So DeFi is one of the first big use cases that's, that's popped up and we now have hundreds of millions or billions of dollars in some of these applications and locked up in these different protocols that are the sort of apps like on the app store and they're all building on top of Ethereum. Some of the better use cases that we've seen pop up, we mentioned the social media type stuff and people are experimenting with rewards points. So how do you reward content creators directly? Again, if someone has a blog in Iran and that's on the blacklist, it's impossible for that person to start a business online or be an entrepreneur, start writing a newsletter and getting a dollar a month from people around the world and 10 subscribers a month might pull them out of poverty, for example. Well, now we have all this, it's possible, you know, microtransactions. We can have a hundred people send that person 10 cents a month because they like their their newsletter or their story or their book, whatever it is. And that is just impossible to do. They can't get a bank account. Microtransactions are not doable with the current banking system. So they're the sort of things that are really um, opening up. Now, if you want to go a little bit further down, and this is advanced and at the moment it's really clunky. So it's like what I'm about to describe, it's like trying to tell someone in 95 how to send an email, how to use the internet. Mm. It's pretty hard at the moment. You've got to know what you're doing. You've got to play around with the long strings of letters and numbers. You've got to add, add on a, a wallet with some Ethereum in it in your browser and then you can interact with that app. So there's, it's, you know, it's not there yet. But in the past 12 months, we've probably had a few apps that have popped up that have made that more seamless. So a lot of that is now happening in the background. And all you do is sign up, username and password, as you would with Facebook or, or Reddit, and you can start interacting with all these different things that I've described. So gaming is another one that's really exploded. Yeah. Users having control over their, their items. And some people that have never gamed don't understand how big this is. This is a hundred multi-hundred billion dollar industry where users want to have their characters, the swords that they used in one game, they call this the multiverse. They want to go and play in another game with the same shield and all their experience points and everything that they've earned. And they'll buy clothes and skins for their character and they'll spend tens of thousands of dollars on this stuff. So this is all sort of accruing and it's all now on the blockchain, on Ethereum, and it's immutable. So they have control over all these different assets. Mm. There's really cool different combinations of things. And as I said, it's kind of like the, the metaverse where you can do this and move seamlessly between any of these apps. They're all kind of connected, but you have control over your data, your money, your privacy. This is where it's all going. Yeah. Do you think there's a particular interesting area that people can start with apps? Like I, I would personally suggest something like Brave and starting there and sort of experimenting from that point. But do you have, apart from Defy, anything... Uh, in particular that people should start with? Uh, so uh, Brave Browser, is, I guess it's kind of DeFi. For those that don't know, it's just like a competitor to Google Chrome. It's actually mm. built off the same engine. So you can import all your settings and use it seamlessly, but it blocks ads. Uh, and you can actually earn some money, cryptocurrency, if you do choose to, to watch ads. And on top of that, it blocks all the cookies and the tracking. So, you know, when all those annoying ads that pop up and, mm. and your phone, microphone or your Google search terms start shoving all those ads in your face, it, it blocks all of that. So this has been really, really popular. It's up to, you know, millions of daily active users now. So it's on that S-curve. Um, that is something that I'd say have a play around with. Uh, there's a wallet called Argent that you can download. Um, create a wallet. You can create Jordan 
jordan.eth or jordan.crypto. And that way you don't have to use those long strings of letters and numbers that are your Ethereum address that people get confused about. So in the future, you're just going to be paying, uh, you know, podcast.eth or nuggetsnews.eth for, for membership. And you'll just be doing that. It'll all be in your browser, in your tab or your phone app automatically, sort of one-click stuff. Uh, it'll say, do you want to pay with your Bitcoin or do you want to pay with a stable coin? Stable coins are probably the biggest thing that have exploded this year. Yeah. So the world of finance at the moment, everyone wants US dollars for safety, but particularly developing countries want that. And we've seen just this blossom of all these different stable coins around the world. And again, that is replacing the banking system, the PayPal's, the Venmo's, these stablecoin cryptocurrencies, I think have the potential to be bigger than Bitcoin or Ethereum. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think um, there's certain stablecoins at the moment which are just massive and some of the volume that you see coming through these things on a daily basis is nuts. Um, I'm realizing we're starting to head for time, so I want to jump into some rapid-fire questions to finish us off. During this whole lockdown period, what's, um, what's your morning and evening routine look like? All over the place at the moment, but uh, <laughs> my morning routine is wake up and, and check all the charts, I guess, because you never know if the stock market's pumped or if it's fallen off a cliff. And at the moment, cryptocurrency and a lot of assets are all correlated because it's just the liquidity that's driving the market. So it, it's kind of a joke. And you've probably seen a few of my tweets on a Sunday night where markets are going to open down and it's like, who's going to come out and say something? Is Trump going to announce his next trillion dollar stimulus bill? Is the Fed going to come out and announce a trillion dollars? And sure enough, they came out and announced that corporate bond buying program and markets pump. The other day, we had one red day and the ECB announced um, they're doubling to a trillion dollars, the Bank of England. So it's just this big joke that they're passing their baton around and whenever we have one or two red days, they're, they're just not going to let markets fall. So that's, I guess, my morning routine. Uh, Watch my favorite content creators. So at the moment, we're really focused on on macro, what is happening around the world. I think the biggest the biggest driving factor is the central banks, the liquidity. But what now happens if that turns into the, the solvency? So if you don't have revenue, how long can governments just keep people on their books? And are they willing to? And I we maybe get into monetary theory just quickly. I don't see any problem. If you're telling someone not to work, to keep paying them the wage they're on. Now, that might lead to, let's say, huge government debts. But in modern monetary theory, we say, well, does that matter if they were already going to earn that money? How is that going to cause inflation? If someone won $1,000 a week is now getting $1,000 a week, I don't think that's a huge problem. And that is going to cause a battle because the central banks are going to say, no, we want that power. You don't have the power to create money. But banks also have the power to create money through loans. And at the moment, all these big stimulus programs are giving the banks heaps of reserves, but the banks aren't leaning out. So mm. small and medium-sized businesses or individuals, they don't want to go in and get a new loan or a credit card or a bigger mortgage if they don't know if they've got a job or a business. Whereas the big corporates have got nothing to lose because they can just go bankrupt and they borrow this money so they can buy back more shares or keep paying their big salaries, issue more, more junk bonds. And that's where it's just this big game where all this money is just going to the financial world and none is going to the real economy. Velocity yeah. of money's died. So that's what that's, I think. And that's why you see such discrepancies in uh, Main Street versus Wall Street behavior. Um, that's That's been the biggest thing for me. I just couldn't believe in the last, 
few months, the performance of the market in comparison to the reality. Like speaking to fellow business owners, I speak to my dad, owns a printing business, revenue's down 50%. Oh, the market's up. Mm. And that's, that's his industry. Everything is down 50%. And I think so, how long are people going to tolerate that? So are they going to keep sitting on the couch and watching this every night? We saw the George Floyd stuff boil over, but that to me was definitely more about inequality and people that are unhappy with a wider range of societal yeah. issues. And how long are they going to keep seeing this unemployment number go up? They're, you know, they're fudging the numbers, so they'll probably be told that unemployment starts going down. But the real underemployment numbers are going to stay high. And when they see stocks at record highs and the rich getting richer, they're going to take to the streets just like they have done. Mm. Speaking of taking to the streets, uh, has there been a doco movie or anything that you've watched over this period of time that, that has really intrigued you? Um, every week in the, the group that we run, we do a, what's the best piece of content you've consumed in the past week. And there's some just fantastic stuff in there. Um, I, I love, I love switching off each night. So watching non crypto, non financial yeah. stuff, uh, some of the big YouTube channels, um, Kurt Skrieg, um, oh, yeah. cr- crazy spelling of that. You've supposed to see some of their creative videos they do. I enjoy, I mean, even just things like I watched the, my wife wanted to watch that Epstein thing and only today, oh, the doco, yeah. Gillian, whatever her name is, Barre yeah. got arrested, but that's just another example of the rich just getting away with, with so much more than anyone else would. And the bankers, I love financial documentaries about, you know, the Wall Street and the GFC. It's just crazy that there's these two worlds that one of them creates jobs and economic value and prosperity and the other just gets to play around with these derivatives and push buttons on keyboards and they are the ones that are super wealthy and I think that's going to be the biggest change over the next generation or two. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've rewatched uh, The Big Short recently and I feel like uh, we're starting to see a a rehashing of what happened during that era. Uh, but hopefully this time around, there may be some change at least. That's um, the, the, the CLOs, the collateralized loan obligations. That's the huge house of cards that's starting mm-hmm. to collapse. And that's why the Fed went early at junk bonds and junk bond ETFs. They're now doing it directly because we've seen commercial vacancies spike. And if that house of cards goes, then that it's, it's a new GFC. And I don't think they're going to let it go. The Fed are just going to print if they have yeah. to print ten trillion dollars, they're going to do it now. They've shown their hand. I don't know if they, uh, but then again, I don't know if they can keep up. You know, it was interesting. We uh, went to look at offices uh, for the agency down on Collins Street, so the main street of Melbourne here, probably a month ago. So this is before this recent spike, and um, I think commercial real estate agents and land landlords are delusional. It was, some the, it was one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had. Like touring, uh, half the office is obviously completely holed out. There's no one there. The offices that are full, no one is in the office because they're working from home. And I remember this one office at like 171 Collins wanted two and a half grand a month for like 20 square meters. And I was just like, what? But I mean, <laughs> What are you talking about? It's two different worlds. If they only read... I won't name names, but, you know, the media cycle in Australia, it's all, you know, it's the bought, no, bought and paid for. There's the connections to the banks and whatnot. And if they only read those news sources, then they do think the property is only ever going, going to go up. And I just think there's these huge reality checks that are coming down the pipeline 
where things are, you know, I'm not saying things are going to be a crash. All I'm saying is things are going to go back to historic fair values where people didn't pay double what a house actually costs to build to buy a house. Mm. They paid three or four times their, their income and they spent money on going on holidays and other goods or services. And millennials value things far differently to these people that I think are committing to a lifetime of debt. Yeah, I would agree with that. Speaking of committing to a lifetime of debt, has there been a purchase under $200 that you made before during this period that has really been enjoyable to you? Oh, uh, what, what, what about like under $20? I think I bought some new headphones that are the, the noise cancelling sort of earbuds and in a house <laughs> full of barking and crying and that has been really valuable. Are these um, the AirPod Pros or are we talking in another brand? No, they're nothing too fancy. They're honestly just got real good rubber seals and they cancel a lot of noise. But um, I think... Well, we've we've been really lucky with some of our investments, and we only when we play around in the it's almost like the penny stock space when you're doing these some of smaller altcoins. And because DeFi has taken off in the past twelve months, we've had some ten, twenty, and a couple of fifty baggers. So we've mm. got some happy followers, and and that's that is really great to see when people are doing that research and get a bit of play money um, during these tough times as well. Yeah, Alex, thanks for coming on, mate. I know you're a busy boy. Uh, where can people find you on the interwebs? So nuggetsnews.com.au uh, for, for our podcast. It's Nuggets News Crypto and Finance Podcast. Or I'm pretty active on Twitter, uh, Alex Saunders AU. And uh, you'll find Alex on Real Vision this week as well. If, uh, if anyone's a subscriber, I think some in the audience are. But um, Alex, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Jordan. It's been great. Thanks for listening to Margin Call. Before you run off, make sure you subscribe on your podcast app to get first access to new episodes and consider sharing this with a friend who loves the Forex CFD game. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube by searching Go Markets. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S. Until next time, thanks for listening.